Welcome back to Mariner Monday, a Mariner's theme segment of the Boyd Meets World podcast. It's been a while since I've said that. I'm your host, Brandon Boyd, and today I was rejoined by my good friend, Phil Smeraldo, to talk about all that we have missed in the last three glorious months of Mariner's baseball, where they have been awful, but that's okay. Uh, we also geared up for what should be an interesting trade deadline for the Mariners as they try and shake some pennies out of the proverbial cushion, uh, that plus some prospect talk, and maybe the best idea we've ever had. The podcast is going to start with a discussion about Tim Beckham, and that's in reference to uh, all the things that have changed since the last time Phil and I did a podcast on April 22nd. Here we are three months later, so Tim Beckham's success has uh, has dipped a little bit, uh, and that'll be where we start. Enjoy this one. Good to be back. Anyways, uh, Tim Beckham had an OPS on April 22nd of 931, uh, basically a top 20 player in baseball, uh, and since then it has dropped down to 716, uh, a top 150 player base in baseball type OPS. Uh, Tim Beckham's reign as the best player in baseball was short-lived. I still think he's the best player in baseball. <laughs> Those bat flip, well, he's definitely got one aspect, the bat flip is the best bat He's very ready for the bat flip. I will say he doesn't even – it's the first inkling that that ball is gone. He's he's tossing that thing. Would you say this season has been a success – would you say that has been a successful pickup? I still think, all things considered, that was a good pickup by the Mariners, Tim Beckham. We've we've talked to, actually a, a good amount of times about Tony Roten um, in, the, in, the, in the Sixers example. Mm-hmm. Um, how mm-hmm. just get a, point, get a point guard that's Get exciting. somebody who's entertaining. Mm-hmm. Fill up the stat sheet. Uh, Tim Beckham, I think, has done that. This team has been nothing but high energy, um, despite the the horrible, horrible record of the last three months. Uh, Plus, and Beckham is I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he's going to net not a good prospect, but somebody that could maybe slide into the back end of the top thirty of your of your farm system. So, I mean, it hasn't been a horrible a horrible. Uh, pickup for the Mariners and he was so bad defensively that it, it caused them to call up JP Crawford earlier than I think that they had originally planned and that ended up being a good thing so thank yeah, you exactly. thank you Tim for Silver that lining. Um, what else what 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 did you notice has changed in the last three months since we've done okay a so number one uh, Mitch Hanniger used to have two testicles <laughs> when, we, when, when, when we were, when we were back on the podcast earlier, man. Um, yeah, that's, that was unfortunate. Uh, that was, that was probably the biggest thing that in the time that we didn't have a podcast going, the Mitch Hanniger ruptured testicle pod would have been its own podcast. Would, <laughs> yeah. That could have been a two hour podcast right it, there. It would have been like the, the Seinfeld episode where they're going over the, the junior mint Zapruder film of like, <laughs> like <laughs> how did this happen? Yeah. Um, that was a big one. What that was did number... even happen? He fouled one off his. I didn't even see it. He fouled it off his 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 testes. Yes, he did. And then yeah. it, it. I mean, ruptured is a pretty vivid word. Um, yeah, that that's like really. Oh God. Yeah, that's cringe-inducing. I have some questions that I could save. I'm going to save for off the air here. Um, but that was um, yeah, that was unfortunate. I think we all keeled over for for Mitch. Uh, I, I wonder if he's going to be back before the end of the season. I Part of me thinks the Mariners are just going to shut him down. Yeah. Um, at least give him some time at the cages with a cup. 
right? To get used to it. Yeah. Because he will, he and will why never don't guys play wear cups anymore? What is the deal with that? You've run with a cup before. It's it's. I've always, yeah. <laughs> you I mean, you still do. I, I no, but back when I, I maybe granted I was a catcher, so you. I mean, I don't think there's a catcher in the MLB or minor leagues or high school or college who doesn't wear one because that's probably the most high risk position. I could understand an outfielder maybe not doing it, but even if I was an outfielder, I'd wear a cup. It's like wearing a helmet. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that was a tough tough one for old Mitchie Poo there. But um, yeah, that was my number three. My number two here was that the Mariners changed the locks on Felix, um, and has not his his access to the ballpark has has been uh, taken away from him. We haven't seen him pitch since May 11th. So that's another one. If you had to put an over under on it, how many? Okay, I'll give you the over under. 0.5 more starts for Felix Hernandez in a Mariner uniform. 0.5. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think I have to say under. It just he's. You gone. don't think he's ever going to pitch again for the Mariners? He's gone, right? There, there's he's up uh, after this year. Am I am I right on that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's gone after this year, but I think I think they'll give him one start or two starts at the end of the year. Does he even want that though? That's a good point. Maybe it's up to him too. Yeah, he he knows exactly what he's been ingesting over the last the last two months, and he's like, I I don't want to embarrass myself here. I, uh, I've, I've had more Coronas than the average, the, the average male should have. Um, yeah, that was, that was something that was, I just remember at the beginning of the season, we talked so much about what Felix's destiny with this team was. And it was so, such unimportant conversation because at the end of the day, his talent was just completely sapped from him. Um, and that was, that was all there was to it. His, his out- attitude, his outlook did not matter whatsoever because, uh, talent just said, you're done. Right. Too bad. Uh, what else do you have on your list in the last three months? I'm going to give you a positive one. Mm. Um, the Mariners catcher situation is probably in the top five in all of baseball. After- and that doesn't just – that doesn't just uh, – isn't just limited to Narvaez and Tom Murphy. They also have Austin Nola who's just emerged – and he, he can, he's a utility guy, but he's primarily a catcher. He's emerged as a really good piece – which we can talk about later in terms of like the trade deadline and stuff like that, but it gives me a lot more confidence to trade one of Murphy or Narvaez. Yeah, definitely. I don't think either one of those guys or both of those guys are going to survive the trade deadline, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, but yeah, but with the Austin Nola situation and the Cal Raleigh, Cal, Cal Raleigh development mm-hmm. um, as well, I think what we were talking about when we got Narvaez, is this the catcher of the future, um, or at least of the next three years? And it turns out that he doesn't even have to be because uh, there's a younger, uh, more powerful, club-controlled version of him uh, coming down the pipeline. With Cal- better defense. Exactly, with Cal Raleigh. Uh, I had, you know, we traded the uh, the Parrot Master himself, Edwin Encarnacion, and Jay Bruce for Juan Then. Uh, Jay Bruce not for Juan Then, but Encarnacion was. Uh, I I'm really really upset that Encarnacion is gone to the Yankees just for the sake of his beard. That is clearly a man who knew that he had the only. He doesn't way, look good without it. He looks horrible. Without <laughs> yeah. It. He looked like it, like a good, like good-looking, well-kept man, and he just looks like he aged forty-five years in a trade deadline. It was crazy. You know, and I saw a lot of uh, adverse reactions. Sorry, there's an ambulance coming. Let me get out. Of it. Uh, I saw a lot of adverse reaction to um, that trade because the merit. They have one then in their system. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, everyone, you know, and I think uh, at that point, Encarnacion was leading the People were expecting a, a, a bigger return than like a 19-year-old kind of lottery ticket, but that is, if if this had been maybe 2000, 2001, 2002, before like the advent of analytics and all of this stuff, yeah, I I bet Encarnacion could have gotten you a top hundred prospect. But teams are just too smart nowadays to trade for a, like a, a a bopper middle of the lineup rental. And give something of actual value because Encarnacion is probably going to be worth what over the course of the end of the season one win maybe, and no one's going to give up a top hundred prospect for that. So I thought the return on that was fairly, fairly reasonable, and I, I don't think there should be as much hand wringing around it as there was. Yeah, definitely not. And and Bruce as well. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, I think like you said, teams are too smart, and getting off of them, getting off of them, their contracts in some capacity not yeah, all some salary relief was was kind of the realistic expectation all along and everything else was just uh, was just uh, asking way too much I, do, I will say the timing of both of those was a little interesting given that here we are at the trade deadline um, and those types of bats are are you know uh, more in demand yes yeah. exactly there's teams that are trying to figure out whether the buyers or sellers um, so so giving them up when they did it was interesting uh, but I think also, if you looked at how Encarnacion and Bruce's seasons have gone, uh, both of them were kind of traded at the exact right time. Right. I mean, Encarnacion's really struggled with the Yankees. I haven't really been following on Jay Bruce. But uh, the kid that they got for Bruce has actually been playing fairly well in the minors. He's a little bit advanced for the level he's at, or a little bit old for the level he's at, I should say. So he needs to start moving up the system pretty fast. But he's he's been making a case for it. Yes, definitely. Uh, let me see about Jay Bruce home runs. Well, he hit two in like the second game afterwards. Uh, I do remember that. Yes, yeah. so he has uh, a total of of ten home runs this season. Um, or or let's see, post Mariners. Yes, uh, and five with the Phillies. Am I seeing that right? No, fourteen with the with the with the Mariners and ten with the Phillies in uh, in fourteen less games. So. About the same, well, about the same. I mean, Bruce. yeah, but that's not like a, a ultra valuable piece that people are going to, you know, there's that, there's always that, uh, that narrative around the Mariners that whenever they trade somebody, they get better. And have you heard, you've heard yeah, that one before, truth. right? Yeah. And I, I'm just glad that it seems like it's been happening less and less frequently. And that speaks to maybe the player development and the coaching and all of that stuff, which we've talked about at length in, in other podcasts. That that era crystallized with the Justin Smoke All-Star appearance. That was uh, mm-hmm. that was a mm-hmm. tough pill to swallow. Uh, another thing that's happened since then, the Mariners uh, drafted some guys, including uh, George Kirby, who seems like uh, Jerry DePoto's wet dream, just a strike-throwing monster. Yeah, uh, the with... controlled his own philosophy. Exactly. Um, I don't think he's ever walked anyone in his life. Um, that type of guy is someone that we all could have probably predicted. If we all had a database in our heads of, of all the MLB draft pick prospects, George Kirby would have been the guy that, uh, that yeah, Dakota was Yeah, that made sense for the Mariners. And, the, and, and apparently it was pretty good value. I saw him getting mocked. Uh, pre-draft even up into the early early teens so like 10 11 12 13 uh so they got good i mean from what i understand they they got good value i'm not a scout i don't know but seems like at night i think they picked at 19 was that where they picked eh, forget Can yeah but anyway it seemed like good value the other guys that they got um so here's the other thing that we have to uh discuss about um trades and all that when the mariners traded gene segura they traded him for 
not only J.P. Crawford, but also Carlos Santana. Carlos Another Santana all-star. Was, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, but Carlos Santana never played a game with the Mariners. But he was traded for Edwin Encarnacion and a comp B draft pick. So basically what the Mariners – you can close the loop on this trade now. The Mariners traded Gene Segura, Juan Nicasio, and James Pazos, who – James Pazos has been designated for assignment. He's no longer on the Phillies, and Nicasio is a non-factor. So basically you can say it's Gene Segura for J.P. Crawford, Juan Fenn, who they traded uh, for Encarnacion, and Isaiah Campbell, who is a pitcher from Arkansas, who they picked in the Comp B round. So that's actually, and both of those guys are in the top 15 of the Mariners' prospect rankings. So that's actually a very good haul for what Gene Segura is. Yes, and considering a guy like Santana, whether it's him or Encarnacion, neither of them, as uh, this this operation is turned into a Bloomberg terminal, as we talked about, neither of those players are ultimately important um, when you could be focusing on on two or three years ahead as as right. the whole vision has shifted. But uh, judging trades in in a va- right when they happen, it's just sometimes you have to be a little careful about that because, like we saw, that trade wasn't even done until basically the draft when we finally closed the loop on it. Let's uh, let's I don't know if we we had this on on your list of of things that have changed in the last three months, but can you talk about J.P. Crawford and your immediate reaction to the play he made uh, the other night where he dove to his left and just hoisted a ball. <laughs> I, I don't know if he had any intention of that ball going to first base, but perfectly to the first base. I'm not kidding out. when I I'm not kidding when I say this. I think that was the best baseball play I've ever seen live. Oh, you like? It, it no, was, I wasn't at the game, but I was watching the game on TV. I don't think I've ever like I've seen better plays like the Eric Young Jr. one with Texas, where he like scales the wall and does a 360. That one comes to mind, but that was a highlight. I was watching the game when Crawford did that and I don't I was trying to rack my memory I don't think I've ever seen a better play in my life when actually watching you know what I mean it was it was like a Jeter play but more range in a wilder throw um to to get from point A to point like I feel like the, I thought that ball was going like a 10 feet over the first baseman's head, but it just, it was a perfect strike right yeah. to him. I could not believe it. Yeah. It seems like every time if I close my eyes, those Jeter plays were more closer to second than the third baseline. But the, the Crawford one was, was like deep in deep. the hole. Deep. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's, he's been awesome. The, the energy he brings and, and I think the, the return on investment there has been, has been very, very nice. Yeah. He's been a good hitter. I mean, besides the defense, which has been really nice. And that was a surprise because that was one of the big question marks with him coming over. But, uh, I think he's hitting around 260, but he has some pop, which I like, and he walks a lot, which is great. So I saw, uh, uh, in, I think he's played 30 or 40 less games than Gene Segura. He's been worth roughly the same amount of war. So just those two, and obviously you don't even need to talk about how he's cost controlled and younger. So the trade that we were kind of, that was much maligned, probably the most so of the off season has actually turned out to be one that, that the Mariners have really kind of enjoyed. Yeah, definitely. That has been a, um, a huge boon and, and obviously something that, uh, when that tr- trade is first made and you're trading an all-star for for a guy who might have been considered a, a great candidate to be just end up being an also ran in, in J.P. Crawford, uh, seeing some initial returns is is, uh, is obviously good news. And it's encouraging, again, about the – I don't mean to keep beating this drum, but it's so important. It's courage, encouraging about the player development because he was a guy who was a top 10 prospect for a couple of years in a row 
and you know he struggled with the Phillies and then he comes and has a second life with the Mariners they're betting on their player development program which is a really encouraging thing because for so long we've kind of been the team where other teams would say hey that guy's got you know good skills but the Mariners can't develop him now we're one of the teams taking from teams like that which is super encouraging yeah, definitely. Um, so let's uh, let's talk about some hypothetical trades here. We would normally go into our three up, three down section. Uh, this will be three trades, three down. You like what we mm-hmm. did there? Um, and uh, let's let's talk three hypothetical trades that that the M should do, um, and then why they should and shouldn't make them. Starting with okay. Mike Leak, uh, Mike Leak, who uh, wanted to be traded so badly that he almost damn near threw a perfect game, uh, which is just I love that incredible time. Uh, it was it's, it's amazing. It was very clear how pissed off he he, he is and was, um, and whether that motivated him to throw better or or it was just you know kind of random as as perfect games are. But uh, you know the Mariners have to absolutely love that because Mike Leak has a no trade clause, which for a lot of teams can hinder the value on like where they can move him. Mike Leak wants to go anywhere but Seattle, so that no trade clause is just basically it's nothing, which is great for the Mariners. Great news for the Mariners. Yes, they were very happy that he did that as well as he was. Um, so the deal with Leak, he's owed twenty four million dollars left on his contract. The Cardinals have about six and a half of that covered. Um, like we said earlier, with the Encarnacion and Bruce deals, it's going to be hard for a team to take all that money back. So at this point, you're just trying to t- to, to to move Leak um, to a team that needs starting pitching help. And and get something back, some guy like you said, who might crack the top twenty or thirty of your of your of your farm system. Yeah, but um, don't expect an impact top hundred guy for Mike Leak. Set the expectations low on him. And I think too, what you'll see is some team will want Noah Syndergaard, not get him, and then be in a position where they want to still acquire somebody to help their rotation because their fans are sold on that on that thought of some some guy coming in to help them. <laughs> Um, and then Mike Leak would be it would be a great sloppy second for a team that strikes out on a, on a mage piece. Exactly. And again, Mike Leak is he's I don't want to use the word controlled because he's not controlled. He's got a big contract, but he is under contract for another year. So it's not just a half year rental. Mike Leak can help eat innings. And that's the value of a guy like Mike Leak. He is a stabilizer at the back end of the rotation who's not going to hurt you. And he's going to eat a lot of innings and save your bullpen. So for a team that has not only plans to contend this year, but also next year, Mike Leak is a, I don't want to say a valuable piece because his contract is somewhat prohibitive, but he's a, he's a piece that you can easily uh, absorb into your roster and, and have, a good, have a good time with him. I was looking for uh, Mike Leak's uh, postseason history, and uh, he, has made, he made one start um, in his postseason career. Do, do, you, do you know who it was for and how well he did? All right, so year? let's see who it would be for. I got to assume it'd be with the Cardinals, right? Uh, not right. Really? Okay, let's see yeah. who it would be for. Huh? I don't even know. Who would, it, who would it have been for? He pitched an absolute gem with the uh, the Cincinnati Reds in the 2012 NLDS against the Giants. Uh, and by gem, I mean he went four and a third, gave up six or five earned runs, two, two homers, uh, and struck out one. Um, in a in a in a Reds loss, those are uh, wasting peak Brandon Phillips years for Mike Leake, and uh, probably pissed me off because I love Brandon Phillips. I liked him too. He's yeah. not in the majors anymore. Is I he? don't think so. I think he got a, a. I don't. Maybe he was like on the Astros or something at the beginning of last he, year. He got suspended for taking steroids. I think too. I think that hurt his career. Yeah, usually doesn't help. Um, but the teams that might snag Leak or be interested in that. 
the New York Yankees, 19th in starter ERA. Red Sox are 16th. Uh, the Atlanta Braves are 13th. I would imagine. How about the Angels? Yeah. That's a team that needs a lot of pitching help, and I was just reading are they something con- about Are they contenders, though? Are they smart enough yeah. to realize that they're not <laughs> and, uh, and, and act as such? It, but he has a better uh, – so we talk about FIP a little bit, fielding independent pitching statistics, and that's really important when you're analyzing Mariners pitchers because the defense has been so, so, so bad for the Mariners this year that all of our starters have ERAs higher than what they would be with even a league average defense. So Mike Leake, you look at him with a guy who's got a middle four ERA, and really on any other team, that's going to look a lot better. So he's got value. I would imagine that uh, that that type of trade makes sense for someone that's just trying to to bolster the rotation. I just don't know if if the Angels can realistically talk themselves into something like that. I think that all those teams in the NL East that didn't get Marcus Stroman. Um, and didn't get J- Jason Vargas. So the Braves, um, the Braves, and uh, who else am I thinking here? Uh, oh, the Nationals. I think that those teams yeah. could, could be um, could be candidates for for that. Real trade. quick aside on the Marcus Stroman deal, what are the Mets doing? And I just don't. And what are the Blue Jays doing? That was a really light return for Stroman. Uh, Matt, yeah, that, that was. I think. Stroman's uh, personality, I don't think, helped a ton with with his trade value. But I also right. am the the original point. What are the Mets doing? Um, is a really great question dating back to the to the Kellenic trade. Um, I just can't believe how close the M's were to also getting Jeff McNeil. I heard. Of, did you read that Divish piece? Well, that was yeah. Well, it was a recent or was it the original? Uh, no, one? it was a while ago. The original one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where we he was in the deal, and then the Mets media media got wind of it and just absolutely tore him apart. Yeah, because it was. I remember hearing about that and being like, "This guy finished what third in the Rookie of the Year in the NL last yeah. year." Um and had a proven track record. They were about to just throw him into that deal on top of what the M's were already got back from that. Uh, I like how the Mariners didn't even push hard after they took him off because they still <laughs> they knew still it was had like a such steal. a great yes, deal. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So so I would imagine Mike Leake. Um, is he your top but candidate? That could have been an all time. That could have been a franchise altering deal if we had gotten McNeil on top of Kellenic and Dunn. Just an absolute fleecing. Yeah, that would have yeah. that would have been uh, been epic. But. Uh, Alas, the uh, the Mets will probably trade him for for no reason. That the, the fact that they're going to get Marcus Stroman and then trade Noah Syndergaard to I just I don't understand anything about what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think they are immediately regretting. Not unlike uh, this, you know, this this country immediately regretting a decision that was made about leadership. Um, so, well, ooh, <laughs> topical. Yeah, we're getting we're getting political on the pod. Three months, three months is really really uh, yeah, getting feisty. Really owned. Uh, the uh, the opinions here. Um, moving on to from Mike Leake to Domingo Santana, who we were just talking a little bit before the podcast started. Uh, John Heyman tweeted that Santana was drawing some interest, uh, notably from the Rays and Indians. Uh, Domingo Santana is cheap. He's under club control for the next couple of years, which I- is no, it, yeah, it's no secret, it's no surprise that the Rays and Indians, two notoriously frugal franchises, are interested in a power bat that's cheap. So. Absolutely makes sense. And yeah. I would, I would imagine that AL teams like the Rays and Indians would especially like Domingo Santana because Domingo Santana is the J.R. Smith of baseball. He does not care about defense, and that is abundantly he's so clear. bad. Oh, he's so, so bad. But he's. Can we tell our viewers or our listeners about me and Shannon? Drake 
Schrader's argument really quickly. Oh yeah, I was gonna save that for later, but I I would love to um love to expand on this now. So Phil Phil and uh, and Shannon Dreyer, who like I told Phil, has just been beat down over the decades of covering the Mariners' horrible horrible team success, uh, is a little feisty on Twitter these days, and Phil was the the victim of some of that uh, some of that venom. So. Dreyer uh, posted a tweet where I guess Domingo made an error in right field and she said, oh, that's unlike him in right field. That looks like him back in left field uh, because he was really, really bad in left field. And I just sent an innocent little tweet to her where I said, I don't know where this narrative comes from that he's been better in right field than he has been in left field because the advanced stats don't bear that out at all. But everyone seems to keep saying that, oh, he's better in right. He's better in right. His ultimate zone rating is actually pretty much the exact same in both, which is to say not very good at all. But then Dreyer gave me the whole, uh, the whole, oh, don't use analytics, use your eyes argument, which I just, I, uh, I can't stand that argument. As if you, as if that's what you were doing, that you were truly just looking at the Bloomberg terminal yeah. and and not watching the game whatsoever. Um, yeah, it's so it's so annoying how that's just got to be, you know, left and right with everything. Um, and that it, you know, it, you're either an analytics nerd or you're grinding tape and watching everything and, and the equivalent of, of, a, of a baseball scout. I, I just yeah, don't, you, like, you can do both. You, you know, have you to do watch both. games and then you can supplement it with the analytics. It's you not like it both. has to be black and white. Yeah. It, it's a you, bunny... and Yeah. You're absolutely right. You have to do both. They can't just be one or the other. Yeah. It's like if I was preparing for this podcast and if I'm either just watching if i'm just watching base all the games that gives me one perspective but if i'm not talking at all about the numbers behind it you know i'm not giving the full thing i would be i wouldn't be doing the best job i could possibly do uh and you as well like it just it's just so it's just so hard for me to like understand because you have this wealth of information now that we've never had at any other time in history. It's like the best time to be a baseball fan ever because of how much information we have now. Yep. And people being resistant to using what's in front of them is is it's just mind-boggling to me. So let's talk more about Santana, who is essentially would just be a hired gun for a team that needs some offense. He's w- WRC plus of 118. So Phil, as you instructed the audience uh, months ago, that means he's an above-average hitter. Um, I think the Rays make a lot of sense here as kind of the third or fourth outfielder and do some DH work. Um, mm-hmm. But what do you th- do? You think? I mean, we talked about all these reasons that that Santana is a great trade candidate. He's he's young. He's club control. He's got a plus bat. Doesn't that make him a good candidate to hold on to, though? I don't think so, and I'll tell you why. I actually think of all the trade candidates that the Mariners have, I'll be the most disappointed if they don't move Santana by the deadline. Mm. And that's because the Mariners, you have to think, okay, Daniel Vogelbach's going to be the DH of the future. That's just what it is. I mean, I think the Mariners have made that very clear. First base, I guess you could try and teach Santana a new position. Uh, I mean, maybe, but I don't know how well that's going to work, and especially when you have Evan White who's coming up and and probably going to be with the team at some point next year. And then you you just don't want to put Domingo Santana in the outfield because you're just hurting his value by doing that. And you have good outfielders. You have Mitch Hanniger. You have guys coming up. You have Jake Fraley, who's going to be up at some point next year. There's not a spot on the roster right now for Domingo Santana. And other teams could use him a lot more than the Mariners. And the Mariners have other holes that they need to fill 
So I'll be I'll be the most disappointed if Santana's not moved by the deadline. <laughs> AKA he is the Mariners' best offensive player, and they don't need a great offensive player for the rest of the season. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it, it doesn't make sense to hold on to him. I don't. I I truly think that going back to something we've said earlier that uh, Jerry Depoto will at some point eat his words and be um, uh, mistaken that the next spring will be this team's like cresting. Um, that's not going to happen. It will probably be the following season. And if that's the case, then that's Domingo Santana's last year and the year before he's about to get paid and mm-hmm. not quite on the same timeline as everything else. Yeah, he's just a couple – I mean, two years from now, if we had Domingo Santana, I would say absolutely hold on to him. But right now it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, exactly. So he will he will most likely be, be dealt, and I would imagine that that would be probably the, the highest return – uh, that the M's will make. Will, and will that's what that. I want to say. People people should revel in that. Look at what they gave up for Domingo Santana. They gave up Ben Gamble, who's, you know, he's a fourth outfielder. People should be looking at the Domingo Santana trade when it hopefully does happen in at some point in the next couple of days and say, wow, look at we, what we turned Ben Gamble into. That's a real uh, feather in the cap for the front office and the ownership. I just went from uh, on Baseball Reference to from Mike Leak to Ben Gamble, and so you know in Baseball Reference how the the faces of the players in the top left. Mm-hmm. So by doing that, it was just like it because they have like the same length hair. So it's just like adding oh, a be- yeah. adding a beard to Mike Leak by going from. They're both pretty broy guys. I like them both, but yeah. neither of them have any you know value to the Mariners. Yes, uh, Ben Gamble with a, an OPS of seven thirty two. So that's uh, actually not terrible. Not terrible. Uh, What's but- his WAR this year? Ben Gamble war. We are looking at uh, I'm guessing around 0.5. Oh, 0.5. Okay. That's, I mean, like I said, that's a fourth outfielder, you know, look at what they turned that into. That should be a a huge uh, celebratory thing for the Mariners. Yeah. Domingo Santana 0.8. So there you go. It's that simple folks. Uh, But, also, I will say this. Domingo Santana is worth a lot more than that. It's just they have him in the wrong position right now. As a DH, I bet he's worth two war at least <laughs> they, at this point. They let him hold a glove, which is the, yes. the, the unpopular. So, and, and teams aren't stupid. Teams know that. Teams know that his war is not actually reflective of the value of player he is because the Mariners simply just have him in the wrong position right now. And I think the Mariners even know that. Let's talk about D. Gordon, who um, makes a lot of sense for – Kind of the intangible reasons and intangible things that that he brings to a ball uh, to a ball club. Speed, locker room guy. Mm-hmm. Currently on the IL, which makes things a little bit more complicated of moving him. Um, but I do think that for everything we just said about timelines matching up and and allowing guys to play, you get rid of of D Gordon, let him go play for a contender, uh, net some value from him, opens up a spot for Shedlong, gives you a good hard look at Shedlong, the the second baseman of the future. And that's exactly it. I don't think they're going to get anything for D Gordon. I mean, I think they can move D because, like you said, he has value to a a really weirdly enough, he doesn't have a lot of value to a team that's pushing for the playoffs. But he has a lot of value for a team like the Astros or the Dodgers, who are already cemented in the playoffs. Because at, inevitably, at the end of the year, you need somebody, and in the playoffs, you need somebody who can go out and steal a base. Yes, and that's every team needs that. They need and a guy who can play good defense, and that's and those are for the teams that are firmly in the playoff picture because that's when it becomes most valuable. Is you know bottom of the eighth, you're down by one, you have a runner on first, and you need a guy who can swipe a bag, and that's D Gordon. So I don't expect the Mariners to get a ton for him, but I what I do expect is him to be not on the roster, and for us to be able to, like you said, take a look at Shed Long and see if he's really the the guy going forward. 
I think that's all that needs to be said there. I would love to see D Gordon play in a World Series. I just, I would, I would yeah, that'd be nice. That. He's welcome. a great guy, great guy. Um, and uh, <laughs> punch Gene Segura, so which uh, makes him an even better guy. Yes. Um, I'm trying to think if there's another like, maybe it happened, maybe it didn't, but it probably did fight in Mariners history. The only one I can think of is the when Mike Sweeney uh, wanted to kick everyone's ass that one year. Do you remember that? Yeah, was that because Griffey fell asleep in the clubhouse and then yes. someone pulled on him? <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. it was. <laughs> That's right, because Mike Sweeney was defending Griffey. Yeah, Mike Sweeney was defending Griffey, and I think it was Tuiasa Sopo who leaked it <laughs> to, a, to a reporter that he was falling asleep in the clubhouse, and then Sweeney wanted to kick his ass. Yeah, well, I don't know if he knew it was Tuiasa Sopo, because I think it was t- it was told as if he, he stood on like a bench and was just like, Come fight me if it was you, which is just a horrible way. It's just like you might as well just pick someone to Those beat their Those teams ass. were such a shit show. God, yeah. I'm so much happier now. And I know the team now looks ostensibly like a shit show. I mean, their record's bad, but you can just feel how much better the organization has run at this point. Yeah, those are just sputtering things, not not uh, like a collective, cohesive vision going forward. Yeah, mm-hmm. those those are great times. Um, true, true Mariners masochism right there, thinking back to the Mike Sweeney era. Uh, let's talk about Omar Narvaez, who was uh, has been a very pleasant surprise. Uh, we knew he could hit, but not to the level that he has hit this year. Um, we knew that that was at least his strength, was on the offensive side of the ball. I don't think he's been as, as much of a sieve defensively as he was No, he was his defense has actually been okay, according to, like, his pitch framing's been way better. His pitch framing is about league average. If you can have Omar Narvaez turn into a league average defender, that's, a, that's like an all-star catcher right there because he, of just how prominent his bat is. He should have been in the all-star game, I think, um, if, mm-hmm. it, if we were kind of in a vacuum just based on performance. But I do think that um, everything you just said about his, his above moving uh, – kind of fixing the one glaring hole in his game while kind of his bat has been flourishing makes him an obvious candidate to get moved. Um, not not to mention the fact that uh, the Mariners really have three other catchers um, who could be their catcher starting in, in the 2021 season in, in uh, Tom Murphy, Austin Nola, and Cal Raleigh. So give me give me a confidence level in these three guys. Scale of 1 to 10. I'm going to ask you on all three of them. At, if they had to be the starting catcher for the Mariners going forward, Tom Murphy. Give me a five. Okay. Austin Nola. Mm. Probably less, right? Yeah, definitely. Less less track record, more more this might be a flash in the pan. I'd say a a, a three on that. And this one's hard because we don't really know yet, but Raleigh. I mean it it's like a it's like an eight. Yeah, I would say it's high too, but it's just hard with he's in double A and I mean he's playing so well, but I don't know if I would be like, oh, we can definitely count on this guy. Yeah, especially because I don't think Raleigh's outlook um, heading into this season was as rosy as it is right now. So it's kind of one of those things of you just got to let a full season come to play. And he's he's definitely being, been humbled a little bit since move, moving up to double A um, for, for Did- how, how much he was destroying uh, single A. So it's, it's, uh, we're already seeing it come back to earth a little bit. And I think this organization, although it's different administrations has got to have learned the lesson with Mike Zanino of you cannot rush these, these catchers up too slowly. Did you, do you want a fun fact or I guess a not so fun fact? <laughs> Is it a Mariners fun fact? So it's actually like, makes yeah, you want to vomit. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a Mariners fun fact. <laughs> it speaks to how bad they rushed guys. Yes. Cal Raleigh already has more plate appearances in the minor leagues than Mike Zanino. You're kidding. 
No. They, that's how bad they rushed Mike Zanino up. Is that I I that, yeah, and I it's not even like a little trust, bit. It's like a hundred more plate appearances at this point already. I wholeheartedly trust you, but I still need to look that up. Yeah, look it up. I swear it's it's a true fact. Wow. Um let me I I it, that was a that was astounding because there it was like they're doing it too fast and people knew it in the moment and then we're seeing it now with Zanino of just like it, it's impossible to look at and say okay that that is um it's it's directly a to b this is what happened with him but uh why not I, I would I would say it's direct I mean I would they ruined that guy's career I mean he's still a good player but they 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 ruined what he could have been okay so I'm seeing in the minors that. Uh, Cal Raleigh has 557 plate appearances. Mike Zanino had uh, 748 at-bats in, in the match. I don't think so. I mean, unless the tweet I read was wrong. Interesting. Maybe. I'll try. We'll try and add an addendum. I'll have to research this later. Yeah, I don't. I don't mean to call you out, but it is close. I mean, it's within 200 yeah. ABs, so Raleigh will probably hit that by the end of the season. Um, yeah. Which is, you know, that's kind of the, the, the all the point that needs to be said. And there's no way Raleigh will be on the Major League roster by next season. So um, regardless if that's a, a fact right now or will be a fact in, you know, 365 days, that's kind of the point. Um, but I yeah. do. So, so yeah, it's it's nice to uh, to even have a name like Raleigh that you can think about as that guy. Because until until his success this year, that was kind of a question mark of what what is this team going to look like in 2021? catcher was was a hole at that point yeah and now catcher looks like one of the biggest strengths in the organization so it's just and that's that speaks to a larger point i want to bring up is uh before the season before the kalanick and the dunn and all those trades the mariners had the 30th ranked farm system pretty much across the board right like the worst farm system ranked you know i don't think that was you know shocking to anybody right so the Mariners now have the number eight overall system in the uh, recently released uh, Fangraphs prospect ranking, their midseason rankings, which, you know, unequivocally, they were the bottom team, the 30th out of 30 um, at the start of the season, pre Kalanick, Dunn, uh, Crawford, all those trades. And now in less than half a season, they've shot up into the top third of the league, which has got to be super encouraging for for not only the front office, but also for the fans. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the the outlook is so much better, and just the the amount of time that you can spend as the seeing that the Mariners lost, you know, twelve to three to the Rangers, and then you can be like, oh, I don't even have to look at that box score. I can go check out the West Virginia Power box box score, which is uh, kind of how I've gotten through this season. Actually, <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, let's that's a perfect transition for us to kind of take the step back. And I wanted you to give your top five prospects in the Mariners system. It very well might be the same uh, that the MLB 100 are um, in the, that exact same order. Uh, but just in terms of future value, what do you think? One through five, best the best uh, bullets the M's have in the chamber. Okay, so I, I actually meant to ask you about this. You say the future value. Do you? Can I include players who are already on the major league roster as well? Interesting. Yeah, you could consider this one of the the M's uh, top five assets that they have as a as a franchise. Okay, because I was going back and forth because my number one was going to be between uh, Kellenic, but I I think I'm settling on JP Crawford. Interesting. I think he is the number one. If if and here's how I think about this: if we were to trade this guy right now, who would 
bring back the biggest return. And I think it's the young, cost-controlled shortstop who Shoney can hit and play good defense See, at I, the major league level. And that's the huge qualifier is, is at the major league level. I disagree. I think that Crawford needs to have a much more full season of, of success than he is currently exhibiting right now for how for how low his his value had had gone down after the Segura, or before the Segura trade. I think Kellenic right now, if you put him if you say his name, you might be I mean that that's it's he's kind of untouchable in that Yeah, sense. he is you're right. He is he is an untouchable guy. But I think the Mariners front office would also put JP Crawford as an untouchable guy too right now. I think that the fact that that's even a, a conversation or, or close to it, um whether or not anyone agrees with you specifically that JP Crawford has become an asset and a, a piece of this going forward means that they did what they were supposed to do with that trade and they got they got a piece for the future um by offloading a guy who his his time had run out. Okay, so my okay, so our lists are already starting to differ. My number one is JP Crawford. Yours is Kellenick. Yes, Kellenick number two. Kellenick number twenty four in the MLB top one hundred. Uh, Modesto has not been as kind to him as as West Virginia was, but but he's, uh, but he's starting to turn it around there too. Even yeah, yeah, that's it. Just give him time. But uh, it it was it's it's gone uh, about as well as it possibly could have with Kellenick so far. Uh, my number two would be Julio, and I've decided to just include his middle name every time I discuss him. Uh, Julio Yarnell Rodriguez. Oh, I didn't know that was his middle name. That's a nice middle name. Julio Yarnell. Yarnell. Julio Yarnell Rodriguez will turn 19 in December. Uh, he's three and a half years younger than the average single A player. Um, it is it is very very nice to have a player that's that young and and uh, that shows that much promise. So I just want to bring up a point. Whenever people talk about Julio Rodriguez, and I love Julio Rodriguez too. I think he's amazing. And I have him as number three on this list behind Crawford, Kellenick, and and sure. then Rodriguez. But can you imagine having somebody like Juan Soto who is basically an already an all-star and he's 19 years old with the Nationals, or he's 20 now, I guess. But he basically is doing what Julio Rodriguez is doing in the minors at the major <laughs> league level already. Yeah, it's it's nuts, and how he will be. I I just hope that he uh, pays attention to the um, the contract situation in his own in his own division, and uh, does not get albiesed into a deal that uh, is really not in his favor. Because yeah, <laughs> that's a guy who who should be looking at um, accessing the same type of of contract that the guys like Mike Trout and uh, and and. Uh, or not Mike? Yeah, Mike Trout and Harper and Machado are getting. Um, because, Do you have a because sixth sense, by note. the way? Because I'm watching the uh, just like the Sun or Monday Night Baseball right now, and guess who's up to bat? Is it is it uh, Mike Trout? No, it's Ozzy Alves. Oh, jeez, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh God, poor guy. Um, but yeah, it's it's nice, and and I think I mean if you had what if you had to say right now, Julio Rodriguez is on a September call up next year. Is that? Yeah, I would say you're probably going to see him starting every day. If things go well, that's, I guess, always the big qualifier with minor leaguers. If things go well, you'll see him starting every day in 2021. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. So Uh, by the time he's 21 years old, which is still incredibly young. Yeah, down for that. I cannot wait for all these guys to to be wearing marriage And that, him, Kellenic, and then you kind of have to think, like, Fraley and you got Braden Bishop and all these guys, maybe Mitch Hanniger isn't, as unexpendable as we thought he was. Yeah, it, it is an interesting thought experiment that if if Hanniger were healthy, what what would his uh, and and 
you know, a little bit more back to average, closer to how he was performing last season, would his name be being thrown around um, like uh, like everyone else's is? Who's who's your number three or number four guy then in uh, in your your top five? So I was gonna go with number four was gonna be a major leaguer who already has some uh, you know time in the majors, but I was gonna say Marco Gonzalez would probably net you a big return future value wise because he's young, he's cost controlled, and he's uh, mid uh, high to I would say he's not a front end rotation guy. But he's a he's a two he's a number two or a number three. I don't really like using oh what I don't even know what those numbers mean. Like what is it? But he's a good pitcher. He's a top forty major league pitcher who's cost controlled and left handed. That's that's a huge asset to any team. So you think that a team uh, is more interested in acquiring? Well, I guess it all depends on situation because right Logan Gilbert doesn't matter as much to the Yankees as he would to I don't know the Marlins, but. Uh, you would so consider- you read my mind. Logan Gilbert was number five. So so Gilbert, I think Gilbert's success um, this season after not having pitched basically at all last season, now being in Double A um, and a borderline top fifty prospect according to MLB.com, and uh, he's mowing down Double A too in his first couple starts. Is huge. It's it's absolutely yeah. huge to see a first round draft pick have that much success early. Um, and I don't know if you knew this, Phil, but there's no such thing as a pitching prospect, but I think that the Mariners have, I've heard that one. (laughs) I think, I think that the Mariners have a pitching prospect in Logan Gilbert. I do too. I just, I just get scared with these guys because I remember when we had Taiwan Walker and James Paxton and Danny Holson, and we had, you know, the, the future right in front of us. And now, you know, four years later, not a single one of those guys is on the team, you know? So who's your number five? Is it? Uh, it was Gilbert. It was okay. It was Gilbert. So just yeah. just missed the cut. I'm guessing Evan White, Jake Fraley. Yeah, Evan White, Jake Fraley, and the guy I'm the happiest about his development this year is Kyle Lewis. Mm. He has been. He got off to a really really slow start in Double A, but he has been just raking since uh, like early early June. So he's probably. I bet you. I will. I will say this. I think there is a better chance than not that you will see him in a Mariners uniform this year. Really? Yeah, September. I, I'm guessing he's going to be a September call-up. Just from everything I've heard and been following on Twitter and, you know, different blogs and stuff, the Mariners love him. And, you know, he's a little bit older. He's already 24. But I'm guessing this year he's a September call-up, and next year he's going into spring training with a chance to compete for a spot. He will be. You, I mean, will he be up before Jake Fraley? Is the question. I think that no, no. Yeah. I think Fraley first, and then and then uh, Lewis will get a couple at bats here and there at the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, they can basically run it as as spring training in September. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's just at bats at a different level to see how they. And adjust I think to the it. fans would like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. You want to get these guys used to it. Get them a couple interviews in the Seattle Times before they're ever going to be at the, at the show. So I like it. I think I think there's really hardly any cost to that um, as long as it's in a situation where they're not forced to play every day and there's any sort of expectations. Uh, but exactly. this, this is the Mariners. We we got rid of expectations a long time ago. Um, Jake Fraley will probably be a, a, a Mariner at some point this season. Uh, a 925 OPS in AA. He's just been killing it. Uh, but my real question to you about the Mariners farm system is, did you know that the Arkansas Travelers have a player named Utah Jones? They do? What does he play? It doesn't matter. Base, yeah, ba- Utah Jones is a great name. It's bass like guitar. A- <laughs> 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 that, 
what was the guy's name in uh, Point Break? Johnny Johnny some Johnny Utah was that his name? Yeah, John, Johnny Utah. Johnny Utah. That kind of reminds me of him. Yes, Utah Jones um, doesn't have a Wikipedia page. Went to North Carolina. Uh, it's it's insane. He he looks so that Arkansas team has like they're they're far and away the best double A team in all of baseball this year. And they have so many – they have – I could just – I right off the top of my head, and I've never been able to do this before, I could probably name five or six guys in not in their bullpen just because they have <laughs> such a good bullpen and they have a great starting rotation, especially now that Justice Jeff Sheffield is down there, even though he got demoted and he's had his struggles, but he's been lighting it up at double A. And that's the thing. People were upset with him because he was getting – you know, he was getting – he was getting rocked at triple A. But AAA this year has been such a hitter-friendly environment that he's not the only one who had those struggles. That's true. But you know what else is a hitter-friendly environment? The uh, majors. Major League Baseball. <laughs> That's also true. What 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 would you – okay, give me a confidence ranking 1 to 10 on Justice Sheffield becoming a top-of-the-line – not not like a Max Scherzer, but like a, a top-of-the-line starter, someone where you'd be happy with the production that he gives you. Like think- James Paxson. I think it's a about a four. I, 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 I don't think we just uh, there's not enough evidence to show that 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 would happen. Um, mm-hmm. To to be looking at the start of the season that you're a, that you are a fall or a um, you know should be in the majors. Just give it give it some time, uh, and now you're a double A regardless yeah, of the circumstances. Yeah, he's fallen. He's fallen precipitously off of like all the prospect ranking lists. So I would say if there's been one negative development in the farm system this year, it's probably been him. But I think that's the sign of a healthy farm system is that you can still have a guy who, um, you know, before the season was a top five guy in your system, hands down. And then you could still say that the Mariners farm system has had a positive year because of the success of Logan Gilbert coming in to basically take that spot. Uh, Justin Dunn holding serve as the type of prospect that that we expected him to be um, so that you're not completely betrothed to this one prospect coming through. Um, and fit and you know being your 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 great white hope um there is this this wave of guys who you th- imagine right. are all going to play at some point together like i remember when it was like dustin ackley he was the guy we yeah. had to have him hit you know yeah and then when he didn't it was so devastating because he was the he was the shining light in a otherwise right. barren farm you know right true and fell nick franklin all these mm-hmm. guys who were touted as you know the the only guy in the <laughs> i was gonna say adam jones but never let that happen um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, um, or it is fortunate that the Mariners have this type of farm system, which we're not really used to where there's multiple guys, you know, there's 10, 12 guys we could spend talking about right now, um, who are major league prospects for sure. We haven't really even talked about Evan White, who I just want to say 13 bombs in double A this year. Power was the big question with him had 11 all of last season. So that's definitely an, an improvement against better competition. Um, and a good sign that his, his bat could be. Um, could also be a plus in addition to his defense, which sound, sounds like you want to put him in the Hall of Fame already for it. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy we didn't even mention Evan White because he's a top 100 guy in his own right. And that's how deep the system is now, is that we he's just basically a footnote even though on this conversation, even though he's a top 100 prospect. Mm-hmm. Yep, 77th or 74th, I should say, in uh, the recently released top 100 for FMLB.com. So uh, great stuff there with Evan White. Um, I, I don't know. Who are you most excited? Like, obviously, Kellenick is exciting in his own way, but I don't actually think he's, he's kind of in the trout mold of like, um, a little robotic, uh, but that's a yeah, good, that's a is. good thing. Which, which prospect do you have a just personal attachment to that you want to see him do, do better than anyone else? 
I'll say Kyle Lewis just because he's been through so much with the knee injury and he was the number 11 pick in the draft. And I still believe in all of his tools and I think he could, and I, so I was kind of hesitant to say this comp because you know how a lot of times he's like, he's a black outfielder. (laughs) And like when you do a comparison, like like if you compare him to another black outfielder, it's like, what you're just doing that. You know what I mean? Are you you about, are you about to say Andrew McCutcheon? No, I'm going to say Justin Upton. Okay. He reminds me a lot of Justin Upton. More power. Yeah. yeah, he's more. got power. He's got good outfield defense. He's got a good arm. He swings and misses kind of a lot, but so does Upton, and he's made a really good career for himself out of that. Yeah, it's exciting um, and, and good to have him not even be, you know, for being a first-round pick a couple years ago, not even being in this kind of top five, top top six or seven that we're talking about, um, but still Who's very, yours? Um, it's Yarnell, man. I, I just yeah, the, yeah, he's great. This idea of just it, it's it reminds me of Felix in the sense that it's it's just this um, guy that we don't know a ton about, very likable, um, very very talented. Clearly, it's just kind of can we go through the motions to get him to where he needs to be? Um, and then I just think that soon we're going to see that spring training from from Yarnell where his uh, his hat is falling off and he's just just adorably talented. Um, Do you think he's another one of those helmet? falling off guys like, i think uh, I, I think that's the new trend yeah right because it's the same reason it's the same thing that a football player would want to take their helmet off as much as possible let's just show that face baby more airtime exactly exactly uh we are to the the, the best part of this podcast where we're handing out some awards um, nice starting with the uh the dave sims fedora to our uh to our least favorite thing going on this week or really of the last three months yeah. this is uh completely Mine up to is you. of the last three months great what what Who's getting the fedora? So this is unfortunate because I don't want to do it, but it is Felix Hernandez. <laughs> Did you read the quotes that he had in the in the in his like latest Seattle Times piece? Uh, I don't think so. It was just, I mean, I don't want to say Felix is delusional because he is like a. You know, he's a hall, borderline Hall of Famer, probably not going to make the Hall of Fame because of how bad he's been the last couple of years. But um, it was they were asking what his plans were for the future. You know, if he's ever going to pitch again, they were basically being very realistic with him. Like, is this is this it for you? And his responses were so just he said, if I get uh, like basically you reading between the lines, it was like. If somebody really wants, he's not going to accept a non-roster invitation, which is all he's going to get. So I, I think it's just the end of the line for Felix because, sadly enough, it's been the trend throughout the end of his career that he hasn't been willing to adapt to who he is now, and he still thinks he's Felix Hernandez, circa 2012, and that's put a damper on his career, uh, an otherwise Hall of Fame career. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it's too bad that. Here we are at this like really exciting. Eh, it's not even that exciting. Soon to be exciting time in Mariners history, and it's also coming at the twilight of uh, what very well may have been the best player that we've had. Um, talent wise, you could argue, you know, up there with Randy for best pitcher uh, that the Mariners have ever had in their franchise. Ever. Um, ever. But he just happens to coincide with this horrible era of, of franchise management, um, and as his has his candle is burning out. Um, it's it's the team trying to rid itself of all the, the and he's not going gracefully, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, did you watch Chernobyl? No, but oh. I've heard about it. All right, watch Chernobyl because I have a great Felix Chernobyl. Uh, uh, cor- comp. Yeah, comp there. <laughs> the comp for Felix Hernandez is the Chernobyl nuclear disaster. Um, 
I would hand my Dave Sims fedora to, and this sounds like I don't like baseball, um, and which isn't a great thing for the baseball podcast that we are currently doing. But the Dave Sims fedora is to the length of the baseball season. Um, just yeah, that's fair enough. It, I even feel that way sometimes. It's so long, and it, like just that that first stretch when we were when we were potting every week, and it felt like you know you're you're in it, and that you're giving baseball like two solid months of of your time and attention. And how little that is to the season, it's just such a slog, and it asks a lot of us as fans. Um, and so, so doing the whole thing, and the people who cover it every day, and who are in it and playing it, uh, my hat goes off to you. But man, it is so so long, and so much to keep track of. What would you think about changing the schedule to like 120 games? It's just not going to happen. Any 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 schedule shortening is just it's not yeah. it's not designed it's not ever going to happen because it just it means money. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe, maybe I don't know. There should once we get into the the advanced realms of of uh, VR though that we can start simming games like we used to be able to in MLB two thousand five. That'd be fun. Yeah, just that would be kind of crazy, wouldn't it? Of like you know put in all of your your team's metrics and injury data and health data into and you know the park data and everything into uh into the best baseball game simulation possible and two teams just decide yep uh that guy won or they won that one so all all of the stats from the game what what that that happened in the in the simulation um if, if it happened in simulation it counts for the actual stats so would players get paid based off of in part due to their simulation like <laughs> yes. stats for for two games a year you know what we should we should send that to rob manfred because i feel like that's how you get the young young millennials invested in the game it would be super interesting and i am actually i did not have this idea beforehand but it's i i think that like there's there's totally enough data to do this um, and Absolutely, and I think teams would feel like it was a fair thing, you know. Yeah, and Vegas is already doing it, right? Like, let's let's just do it for a couple of teams. All right. Well, there's our million dollar idea. <laughs> uh, wow! It, it'll start in the um, what's the what's like the experimental the uh, uh, minor league that the Atlantic League or whatever. Oh, the Atlantic League. Yeah. Wait, yeah. Actually, have you been following any of those developments? No. There? It's been pretty crazy. We should. We I should... really like. We should do that end of season though. Is look at how well those did. They oh yeah, we should on our last podcast we should do a little or a second to last or whenever that comes. What what about I guess the, this this podcast will never end. This podcast <laughs> will go into eternity. So what about the pre playoff Mariners podcast though? I mean, we're both going to be in walkers. Maybe yeah. I'll be in a uh, I'll be in a walker. Yes, yes, we'll have rickets, but <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, let's send out some yellow hydros though to our favorite things of either the last three months of the week. I'll I'll stay topical for this week. Trevor Bauer, you're getting my yellow hydro. Oh no, you took mine. That was what I was going to do <laughs> for the perfectly for the perfectly normal, very sane reaction of getting taken <laughs> out of a game to just throw a ball from the pitcher's mound <laughs> directly that, that over center field. The most amazing thing that's happened all year. I, I, it's kind of funny because everyone knows Trevor Bauer is nuts, and so it's very on brand of him to do. But I wish it were someone not like Trevor, like Max Scherzer to do, like someone who's very composed and you would never expect them to do that. And they just lost their mind. Um, that would have been funny too, but that was, and then Francona yelling at him, what the yes. fuck is wrong with you? That, that was just pure comedy. Terry oh Francona God. a has gotten very fat, which is awesome as he should. Uh, and then wh- who would you take in a weird off Trevor Bauer or Chris sale? 
Oh, that's a good one. Uh, Sale, I like Sale because remember that story about him like taking a knife to the jerseys <laughs> they were wearing. Yes, he he shredded that, he shredded the Chicago White Sox uh, uh, throwback that they were going to make him wear um, for no apparent reason other than he just didn't like it. Uh, see, the thing about Bauer is that Bauer wants you to know he's weird. I think, and Sale. Uh, Sale is just like actually a psychopath. Yes, yes. Sale collects like human fingernails and, <laughs> and hasn't told anyone about it. Um, so yeah, I, I, that'd be a fun one. And then my last thing, because Trevor Bauer's throw was so incredible and just an example of what baseball players can do if they use their powers for stupid things like that. Uh, before the home run derby, would you watch a long toss off or a long throw off where it's a right fielder or a pitcher trying to get it into a bucket, uh, all the way across the stadium? I think I'd watch that more than I'd watch the home run derby. <laughs> Because you've seen like the Korean bunt offs, right? Those are incredible. Oh yeah, yeah. Where they like try and bunt it into like that little circle. Yes, yes. Yeah, that would be. And it's incredible the amount of skill. And have you also seen that that crazy like old um, Japanese home run derby video where they were like throwing pitches to Barry Bonds, but they would like smoke would come up halfway through the the pitch. Um, it's, no. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. I got to find this for you. It's, it is insane. Um, they're just trying crazy stuff and they're having like this like giant throw them a pitch. Yeah. It's, it's great. Real quick. Did you see the Japanese all-star game this year? Uh, no. Okay. Did, so everyone wears like these different costumes. It's hilarious. You should, I'll send you a clip of it, <laughs> but like everyone's wearing, like one guy is coming up in like a cheerleaders out, outfit and like, like a, literally like a, a, like a, you know, like what a cheerleader would wear, and but he's fuck, he's like batting. He's just take like normal. It, it was Maybe just, I did see that. The whole thing was just ridiculous. Yeah, that's 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 us as Americans. Our fault for having too much pride to not try stuff like that because it would be the most entertaining thing that's ever happened. <sighs> Anyways, I t- I took your yellow hydro. So did you have time? I think to- we need to end on the Bauer thing. <laughs> I think that's like the perfect yellow hydro. Just because, did you, okay, there's, I've watched that clip maybe a hundred times. Yes. And the best part of the clip, well, there's two best parts of the clip, actually. When he turns around and he's going to launch it, did you see the, how the second baseman flinched? Like yeah. he was about, he thought that Bauer was just about to launch it like 150 it, miles an hour. Right it was, it was awesome because the second baseman flinched. Um, and then, but the, the runner flinched to the Royals player who doesn't play for the Royals, just hit a double, um, doesn't know Trevor Bauer, just knows that he's like kind of, a, kind of an off you know, a little guy who's off um, the the normal here. Uh, and it kind of ducks and is like, oh, he might throw it at me. His teammate, who plays with him all the time, <laughs> had no idea whether Trevor Brower was just going to launch a ball at him uh, or not uh, for, for not doing anything. That's that's the sign that this guy is, is crazy. Knows that. Yes. But then the best part of the video is that the center fielder has his back turned to the to the action, and he's looking out at center field. And then when he sees the ball land in the center, in like the, in the, like the concourse in, he thinks he turns around cause he thinks someone just hit a home run. And he was like, did I just have my back turned to a, a home run or something? Yes. It was just, it, the whole thing was just pure comedy. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. And Trevor Bauer may be a Mariner someday. Um, for, I would uh, love that. Jerry, I would be a huge fan of that. Jerry DePoto has a large affinity for, for him having drafted him with the angels uh, before he, Ended up uh, as as a Indian. I think I have that right, right? That that's uh, he got drafted as the Diamondbacks. That was one right. Was the... Okay, there we go. there we go. Yep. So a, a Diamondbacks draftee of of Depoto's. 
Um, and he's talked about him on the wheelhouse before for for how good he is. So I would imagine that um, that's that's something that would kind of work in their timeline a little bit. But uh, but we'll see. Uh, my last yellow hydro would be would be uh, to you, Phil, for getting back on the pod, um, and then also for your staunch defense of, of Jake Fraley to start the season and how how wonderful he has been uh, this season in the minors. Every once in a while, I get one right. And I'm excited to be back on the pod. God, I've missed it. And I'm excited to be healthy again and active again. And my yellow hydro goes to your brother for sending and you for that uh, that wonderful gala. And we just had a blast. Yes, that was fun. That was fun. Uh, the uh, the Left Behind Canine Rescue Gala, Come Together 6 in June at the Snoqualmie Casino. Uh, it was a great time had by all. It was awesome to have you guys back uh, at that table so I could just riff off of uh, the, the madness that was ensuing at, uh, at Table 27. Um, so I appreciate you guys coming and uh, for all the support. So uh, that'll do it for us here in uh, the return of, of Mariner Monday. This this feels good, man. We're, we're back on the horse. We're back on, and hopefully next week we'll have uh, have some news to talk about with some trades. Yes, definitely. And you have to watch Chernobyl so we can talk about Felix Hernandez there more in, in ter- right. terms that I can relate to. Uh, all right, sir. Uh, take care. All right. Love you, buddy. Take care. Yes, sir.